the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, God told Abraham to go out from your family, out from your brick and mortar home and, and live in tents. He told him, told him to be a sojourner, to go out into the place where I'll show you. In other words, we're not to set up our, our camp down here. We're, we're moving through this land. This earth is not our, our home, so to speak. We're citizens of heaven. So we're not supposed to be too attached to the things of this world. But Abraham, he brought his nephew a lot along. He wasn't supposed to bring anybody, but he did. I guess as a comfort thing, a little comfort blanket, and he brought Lot out there, but because Lot was with Abraham and God had a covenant with Abraham and Abraham was a righteous man, he was pleasing God, even Lot got blessed because of Abraham. And they're out there and they got so many cattle and so many sheep and all these things that God has blessed them with that the two have to park, part ways because there ain't enough grass to feed all their livestock. And so Abraham gives Lot, his nephew, the first choice of where he wants to go. And Lot chooses to go live in a sinful city in the world. He doesn't, he doesn't like this just passing through stuff. He wants to settle down. So he chooses a city of Sodom. You may have heard of it. And he goes to live in Sodom. Well, some years later, the Bible says that Sodom, this sinful city, these people of Sodom have vexed Lot's soul. Now, that's a big fancy word, vexed. I don't know exactly what it means, but I guess you can figure it out. That means it's like maybe you feel vexed when you have to go to Walmart and hear the way people talk in line and, and see how people treat their kids and treat one another. And, and when you cut on the TV, you see the foul things that we see in this society in which we live. Maybe your soul feels vexed a little bit. It's like dirty. But, but Lot doesn't leave Sodom. He must like it a little bit. Maybe he likes being one foot in and one foot out. He, he's righteous, he believes, because he believes in the God of Abraham, but he wants to live in the city. He wants to live according to the world's ways. Well, he's sitting in the gate one day, and along come two angels from God walking into the city, and he recognizes that these are angels, you know, these are not just regular people. He says, y'all, y'all come to my house and I'll fix you supper. You know, come, come stay with me and you can leave in the morning. He's concerned. Why? Because he knows the nature of these cats that's living in Sodom. And they say, no, we'll stay here in the city square. You know, they came on business. And you, if you read the story, you know that the business they came on, because God, the, the stench of Sodom and Gomorrah and these evil towns have reached the nostrils of God and he's ready to rain fire and brimstone down and destroy the whole thing. And he sent these angels to make sure it's true. And they come and they say, no, we're just going to stay in the city square and check this out. And he begs them, no, please, you don't understand. Please come to my house. So they go with Lot to his house. Later that night, 
It says, all the men of Sodom, young and old, surround Lot's house and yell, bring out those two men you got in there. We want to have sex with them. That's in the Bible, Kayla. I know you had not got that far yet. But... See, the Bible doesn't hide things. It goes ahead and tells you the good and the bad and the ugly so that we can figure it out. But in certain translations, this said they wanted to have sex with them. They wanted to have relations, it says in one translation. Bring them out so that we can have, they wanted to have relations with the two angels. Well, Lot slips out the door and says, guys, guys, please, these, these people were in my house under my care. Please don't do this wicked thing. He said, I, then he, he gets this bright idea. This is the kind of bright idea that people have when they're, they got one foot in and one foot out. You know, the kind of thinking that you, you get a little squirrely. He says, don't do this wicked thing. But I got two virgin daughters. Y'all can have them. He offers his own daughters. He's got good intentions, but his soul has been vexed to the point where he ain't thinking right. And he's doing the stupid things that they're doing. And he offers him, he offers all these crazy people his virgin daughters. They said, we don't want them. We want the men. And they go to tear down the door. And the angels reach outside the door and <laughs> snatch up Lot and throw him in and lock and bolt the door and strike all the men outside trying to get in with blindness until they disperse and go home. The angels say, this place is just as we had heard. And God is fixing to rain fire and brimstone down. Lot you need to go tell all your family members, all your friends, we got to go. Whoever you want to go with you, God will save, but you've got to go get them. So in verse 14 of Genesis 19, you don't have to turn there. They'll put it up here. It says, so Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiance. Say rushed. He rushed out to tell them. Quick, he says, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. Why would they think he's only joking? Because he ain't been in no hurry to get outside of all this filth before. There's been no sense of urgency in Lot to get out quick before. They think he's just telling a fib. They think he's, they, he's joking with them. So they stay. So he, 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 he manages to get his own two daughters in the house with his wife, and then the, very early the next morning, the angels wake them up and say, it's time to go. God is fixing to hit the button. And they start hee-hawing around. <laughs> they start hee-hawing around. Hee-haw, hee-haw. The angel had to grab Lot and his wife and his daughters by the hand and pull them out and rush them out of the city. Doing so, saving their lives. It, was, it says it was the mercy. God showed mercy on Lot's family for Abraham's sake. He can't even show mercy on Lot for Lot's own sake because Lot's so vexed, he don't deserve any mercy. But he gives him mercy for Abraham's sake. And he brings his family out. And he's, and he's saying, okay, we're fishing to take you to the mountains. And then Lot argues. I don't want to go to the mountains. I want to go to that other city over there. Just let me go over there. I wouldn't do well in the mountains. 
The angels are like, oh my goodness. Arguing with God at every turn. He says, all right, all right, you can go to that city, but don't look back. They ain't gone far. When guess what happens? Lot's wife looks back as the fire and the brimstone is raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroying the cities. It says she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, I don't know if that means she was like, boom, and all of a sudden she's a statue of salt. I don't know. Maybe one of those brimstones. I don't know what a brimstone is, but maybe it whacked her real good and just burnt her into a crisp and turned her into a pile of salt. I don't know exactly what happened, but the Bible just says she turned into a pillar of salt, and it don't sound good because she was looking back. She had a taste of the things of this world and was not in any kind of hurry to do God's business and to do what God asked. Are you getting a picture here? So Lot's soul had been vexed. His witness had been compromised. Nobody's listening to Lot. His own future son-in-laws think he's joking when he tries to save their life. Is that where you want your witness to be? You want to be so vexed with the things of this world, so immersed in it, so, so lackadaisical about being compromised in the things of this life that you have no witness at all. You can't even save your own family members. You have no credibility about even the people that love you. He lost his home. He lost his wife. And he almost lost his own life. He came this close, but by the mercy of God, he survived, escaped, of only by barely getting out of the fire. And isn't that what that says in 1 Corinthians 13? Or what is it? 2 Corinthians 13 where it says that they escaped, they, they made it to heaven, but only as if by fire. They didn't bring anything with them. It was 1 Corinthians 3, 15. Tonight's message is entitled, A Sense of Urgency. Do you have a sense of urgency about the things of God, about your life? I look around, and I don't see it a lot. Not even in the church. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus says, and this is his first message, this is, he just started his ministry. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, repent. That means to turn away from this junk that you've been focused on. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, something else is getting close. A sense of urgency. Say sense of urgency. The first thing Jesus pre preached was for us to repent because you need a sense of urgency because the kingdom of God is near. And now it's nearer than he, when he said that. How much more do we need a sense of urgency? Now when he said repent, of course that means repent of sin. You know, that goes without saying. That means turn from your wicked ways and all the sin that you have in your life. Of course it means that, but, I, but repent means to turn from one direction and go another direction. So if you're turning from the sin, you need to be turning to your calling in life. So when he's saying repent, turn, 
from sin turn to your calling, you have an obligation to have a sense of urgency and to get into your calling because the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn to Matthew 24. We're going to start in verse 44. says, you must be ready all the time. Not just on Sundays or on Wednesdays. You must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant. Somebody got a little sense. <laughs> is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. See, God wants faithful, sensible people. If you had some senses, you would have a sense of urgency. If you had some senses, you would know that God has a calling on your life to help manage the population down here and feed the people the Word of God so that people can be saved. You would see the, the need. You would feel the Great Commission as a sense of urgency in your heart. In John 4.35, it says, Jesus says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up, look around, the fields are already white for harvest. And this is during his day. He's, he's saying, we ain't got time to just talk about witnessing. If we don't get the harvest in, these, this harvest is, is dying on the vine. People are dying today. We need a sense of urgency. The fields are already white to harvest. Practice, come on Wednesday night and learn how to, to minister better, but in the process, be, be witnessing Thursday through Tuesday. Now, when Jesus sent the 72 two of his disciples out two by two in Luke 10, 4, he says, don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor extra pair of sandals. In other words, travel light. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. That sounds like a sense of urgency. You ain't even got time to stop and talk to somebody because you're on the way to somewhere. Now, of course, you stop and talk to somebody about Jesus, but Tom, you know, if you ever witness with him going door to door, he'll, he'll talk to somebody and and he'll hear what they have to say, and he'll, you know, the Holy Spirit will give him an urge one way or another. They're going to receive it, or, or we're just wasting our time here. He'll wrap it up. Well, okay, it's good to talk to you, but we got to get to the next house, and we'll move right on along. And I'm like, man, Tom, if we talked to him for another hour and a half, we could have had him, you know. But Tom realizes, hey, you got to shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next one. There's a sense of urgency. You got to talk to them, you, you give them what God tells you, but then you obey the Holy Spirit and you keep moving. You know, there may have been a sense of urgency when Noah first started building a boat. I, don't, I wasn't there, so I don't know. There may have been some people that said, Noah, what you doing? He said, I'm building a big boat. It's going to rain and we're all going to flood and God's going to you know, kill everybody that ain't on the boat. And they're like, well, shucks, sign me up, you know, give me a ticket. They may have stuck around for a couple of days, you know, and then it's like, I don't think it's going to rain. It ain't going to rain. 
you sure Noah? Pretty soon they're making Noah jokes, you know, when they walk by. Pretty soon he's just a laughing stock, and they, everybody's now everybody's uh, making fun of Noah for believing that it's going to rain one day. And some some experts guess that it could have been up to a hundred years it took Noah to build the ark. You know, they lived longer back in in Genesis. And by the time a hundred years have passed and, and he's got the ark ready and is sitting there, nobody's even thinking about getting on the ark. They're not even it's the last, the farthest thing from their mind. But you know, when it started to rain, and that first foot of water was on top of the ground, I imagine, I, I wonder how many people started sloshing their way to the boat, only to find that the door was already shut. I wonder how many people had a rope trying to throw it up on the thing to climb up. By the time the water was waist deep, I wonder how many people had screamed their voices silent. Now they had a sense of urgency. But by then, it was too late. Matthew 24, 37 says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. They didn't even pay attention that he had got on the boat or shut the door, that God had shut the door. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And that's what it will be like when the Son of Man comes. I think it would do us good to keep a sense of urgency. I just have one get all fired up after a good message, and I think it would do us well to prepare a life of faithfulness so that we're always ready. And we got our bags packed, that we're ready to go, that we can meet him today, any hour of the day, and say, and he'll say, well done, because I, I trusted you to feed my, my servants and to manage the people and the household. And you were part of that Wednesday night crew that came when nobody else did. When y'all went through five weeks of how to witness to, to folks. And, and everybody else said, I don't need that. I'm going to wait until he's preaching on something I, I can use. No, you came. Because you were establishing something in your life. Faithfulness. It ain't just what you can get out of it. But church is preparing you for the flood. It is preparing you for the day to come. We, I don't want to be here and, and be the pastor and find that there was five virgins with no oil in their lamp when Jesus came back. So I have to tell you the truth. So it ain't your blood ain't on my hands. I have an obligation to tell you that he's coming in an hour we don't know when. And it's nearer now than when we first believed. What must take place before Jesus' return? Prophecies have talked about Jesus' return and there's certain things that had to be fulfilled. Um, 
In Matthew 24, let's turn there. We're going to stay in there for a little while. They asked Jesus that very same thing. It's funny that Jesus didn't say, look, I'm coming back August 15th, 2021, or, you know, what would have happened if he had did that? You'd have 6,990,000, I don't know how many, but just a handful of people that would be faithful, and the rest of them saying, I'm not serving God in one more day than I have to uh, on August the 13th or whatever the day was before that, I'm going to get right with God. That is so sad. And you know what? It's just sin. This ain't in my notes, but I'm just going to show you a little mercy for a minute. We're infected with sin down here. And we are so selfish. And if we let our sin nature rule us, that's what God would get. But what I want you to know is you that are here tonight, and I'm serious, our attendance since we've been preaching on witnessing has gone from high 30s to low 20s. And now we're about 15 tonight because they probably thought I'd preach on it again. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if we... And you, and you are, you are, you're establishing things in your life to make you faithful when nobody else is. You're not following what everybody else is doing. You're not following your sin nature. You're following after the Spirit. You're making your, this man is here and it's on his anniversary, 21st wedding anniversary. Huh? It is a big deal. It is a big deal. And I want to be upset that other people are not here, but at the same time, I am thankful that you are here. Because you know what? Noah only had eight people on that boat, and they were all family members. Eight people in the whole world got on the boat. We got to realize that faithfulness is crucial. You can be, if you're just going on how you feel and you haven't set parameters and you hadn't made up your mind on the front end about what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how you're going to do it, and you let your flesh dictate and rule to you, you will be good for a couple months. We won't see you for a couple more. Then you'll feel bad and you'll come back. It'll be like an up and down roller coaster in your life. And then what happens when Jesus comes back and when you're in the down cycle? No, you, you guys are smart enough to know and I hope the people that may hear this on a podcast will listen. Jesus died for us. And this life is but for a moment. And we need to live every moment with a sense of urgency for His causes. And then we will be the ones rewarded in heaven. You will be ruling and reigning with Him and everything that you give up down here, whether it be cars or family or houses, he said, and I'll give you a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. He's not talking about you're going to get a hundred cars down here. 
But you're going to have, you go, listen, you're going to have the sense of peace in your heart that's worth a hundred cars. Because you know you're right with God and nobody can take that from you. You see what I'm saying? Now this, this ain't even on my notes, but what must, play ta- must, what must take place before Jesus returns? Matthew 24, verse 3, Jesus is asked this. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all this will happen. What will be the sign or the signal of your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, Don't any, let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is the first of the birth pains, with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And I want you to know that there's been more Christians martyred this year than probably in any year in the world from creation. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. Which one of these things is yet to happen? Did you see one that hadn't already happened? Well, by most prophetic scholars, they would tell you that all the other prophecies by Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets in the Bible, they've pretty much already come true as well. They, most of them will tell you that enough has been fulfilled that Jesus could come back right now without having to apologize for anything that he has prophesied. Verse 13 says, But the one who endures till the end shall be saved. Luke 18.8 says, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? When the flood came, did he find faith on the earth? Not much. So Jesus is compelled to ask, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will anybody be living faithfully? In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1, it says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's, Paul, Paul's just preaching, and I imagine he feels the same way I feel tonight. The things I'm expressing to you tonight as a pastor. He's an apostle. He's, he's over pastors, but he, he started some of these churches, and he's pa- pastored some of these churches. And he's saying, as workers together and with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't be like the people who got saved and got excited, but then you don't see them no more and they just go back to living in Sodom. Go back to living in Gomorrah. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I got saved when I was 13. You know, cussing like a sailor, living like the world, 
Don't receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in an acceptable time, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. God's saying, when you called for me and needed help, I was there. I wasn't taking a vacation when you called for me. I didn't say, well, I, I, would, I want to, you know, I want to be there for you, brother, but I got something to do. You know, I've already made previous arrangements. I don't feel led. God didn't say I don't feel led to save us. When we called on him, he was there. Let us not receive the grace of God in vain. I heard you in the day of salvation. I helped you. Behold, now, say now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. We're supposed to be living in the now. Not assuming that we have 25 more years or assuming that we'll be here for retirement. We live in the now and not taking the grace of God in vain. You say, Pastor, you sure are using a lot of scriptures tonight. Revelations 1.3 says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. You wonder why I'm reading a lot of scripture? I want to be blessed. God blesses the one who reads the words of the prophecy to the church. He blesses those who are telling somebody the good news found in the word of God. And he blesses all who listen to the message. Hello? Tom throw his hands up. He said, I'm listening, God. And listen to this. He blesses those who listen to the message and obey what it says. How many, how many is three for three on that one? You're preaching it, you're hearing it, and you're obeying it. For the time is near. Where's it at? Near. Near. I know I preach hard. I know I seem like I demand a lot. I'm not saying that you need to be driven. I'm saying you need to be faithful. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What I'm advocating that you do is simply be obedient to God and be faithful to God is easier than what you're doing now if you're not. You're doing things the hard way if you're not. In my daily confession, I've been a little slack, I don't do it every day, but I try to do it at least a couple times a week. You know how we went through a series and we, we, we watched that video of what's his name? Craig Groeschel talking about having a daily confession, stirring yourselves up, keeping the vision before you. And part of mine was I'm anointed, empowered, and called to reach people for you, Lord. I love people and believe the best about them. I am creative, innovative, driven, focused, and blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. And I was quoting that for couple of years there and every time I would get to that word driven I said that just ain't sitting right with me I don't I don't because I drive myself 
You know, when, I, when I'm in charge, I, I drive myself probably too hard. And things become hard. I'm not asking you to drive yourself and to do uh, superhuman things, and God's not asking you to. He's asking you to be faithful. Just obey what he, that the Holy Spirit prompts you to do. He's not saying hop up from here and go hit every apartment in that complex over there and tell them about Jesus before 10 o'clock. He's saying, he may say, but, you know, tomorrow, tell Fred, you know, good morning. <laughs> Be obedient to what he leads you to do. Does that make sense? Because you can preach a message like this and people say, well, I'm already giving everything I got. I can't give no more and all this. If you're, if you're doing what God has asked you to do, you don't need to feel any way about this message. You can just rejoice. Say, I'm, I'm doing all three. I'm preaching it. I'm hearing it. And I'm enjoying it. And, and what was the other one? And I'm obeying it. You know, so you have that peace. You have the, that hundredfold that God promised. And you'll have much more when you get to heaven. So, no, don't, don't drive yourself. Just relax. Let God drive. God's yoke is easy and His burden is light, says in Matthew 11. Now, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Didn't just say, go get them saved. said, go make disciples. That's a big difference. Big difference in just having people say their sinner's prayer or going and having and leading somebody to the Lord and then watching over them and helping them grow in their faith and get on their own two feet because once they become a babe in Christ, who's going to take care of them? It's, you wouldn't take a, a, a regular baby and say, okay, well, I had you born, now you're on your own <laughs> and walk off and leave them to the wolves, would you? No, and that's, that's what we have a habit of doing in the church. We, we, we have these big crusades and we have a million people come forth and say the sinner's prayer and then we leave town and, and we don't have any, any churches set up, no structure, nothing to help them to grow in their faith. We they, you know, might have a track or two we left behind or something, not even a whole Bible or something. You know, now, I'm not criticizing anybody's work or anybody's labor in the Lord. It's better than nothing. But what I'm saying is it says go into all the world and make disciples. And so that, that one commandment right there has changed me in the last few years on the way I see what my responsibility is as a Christian. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. Teaching them, see? Not just getting them saved, but teaching them to obey the commandments. Teaching them what the commandments are. And he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's going to be with us in this. Amen? Now, as <clears throat> big brothers and sisters, I, I, I call my Lexington Level group the big brothers and sisters in the house. Because uh, then you're the keeper of what God has called us to do in this church. You are the, the keepers of that. And and you wonder, okay, well, how do we do it? What are we doing? Well, that's what we have spent so much time these last few years figuring out what God's purpose is for this church and where we're going and how we're going to go and make disciples. How are we going to be a church that doesn't just 
have a good track record of getting them to say the prayer, but has avenues for them to come in and be discipled and so that they can go. And so we won't be just a small church, you know, with a good outreaches, but we'll be a, a, a growing church w- with multiplying and, and exponential growth. And this person going and bringing them in. And then this person, everybody going, and not just the pastor, not just a select few, but we're making disciples and everybody learning how to use your gifts and talents for the calling that God has for you. So you guys are, you guys are the big brothers and sisters in this little congregation. And we're just this little seed of what we're going to be. But it starts with the little seed. The biggest oak starts with a little seed. And so we need every part, especially now that we're little. We need faithful, we need a faithful seed, a faithful remnant, a faithful people to help accomplish. Well, let's start over here. I know you guys already have memorized all these banners because I've preached on them so many times and you've been faithful to be here to hear it. But what are we trying to do? We're trying to be a church where people can go and meet the real Jesus. And so you're getting that in you. You're you're understanding who the real Jesus is, his character, his nature, his love, his mercy, his grace, his severity, his seriousness, the, the full round roundness of who God is. You're learning that. So that we can present the real Jesus all over the world. And then we can begin to take the seed that we have and split it and plant other seeds. And big oaks growing all over the world. And we'll, we'll take our DNA and export it. And, and so how do we do that? Who are we? What is our DNA? Who are we? Right there. You're, you have to be the warm, fun, loving family. What I'm trying to say is. God is is making this so we we can all do this together. I'm trying to explain that. That we can win this world. See, we I could get driven and say I'm going to do it by myself and I'm going to go over to the apartments tonight, you know. I might have a little success, but I would be much more efficient if if all of us worked together to create a church that's warm and fun-loving. And, and where everyone matters and God's love is found here so that when we bring people here, they want to stay. They want to learn about the things of God. And we're a hospital. You're each nurses and doctors. You're bringing people in that's in different stages of needing health care and mental care and physical care. And we're, we're giving them hope. And we're showing them that they have a purpose, Right? So when people come here, it's not like we have to go far to find people. People come here. We go and we and we meet them when they come here. And when we bring them here and when somebody else brings a visitor or something, we all show them that this is who we are. This is what God has called us to be. This is where we're going. We don't forget our why. You got to stay with why you do. That. That's part of that foundation that you have to know because otherwise you begin to Go through some hard times, you forget why you was doing it in the first place, and you drop off. So you got to build that foundation. Jesus said, to, "Built two kind of houses: one on the rock, and one on the shifting sand." You got to dig deep and build that foundation in your life. And see, it's really over here. What we're making is disciples. We're here to develop Jesus' heart in you. It's what we do. We each come and learn. Each come and learn, so that we 
may go and teach. That's, you know, this five weeks of learning how to witness. You're coming and learning so that you can go and teach. And see, we're not, we're not being successful just because we're getting bigger on Sunday. It would be more important to me to get bigger on Wednesday. That, may, that is a sign that we are doing well, that we're being healthy. I understand. I understand. There's always, there'll, there'll always be excuses, but, but uh, in the overall, we should be getting bigger on Wednesdays. And one of the things that you could do is you're coming and learning so that you can reach out to somebody on Sunday and say, man, you really need to start coming on Wednesdays. That's where you're growing deeper. That's where you're learning the deeper things. And see, what we're trying to do uh, is back here. Take people around this circle. Now, the first thing I would ask you is, do you know where you're at? You know God? Well, good, good. Stay here and keep working till, you, till God helps you find your freedom so that you can get free from the bondages that you've been in. You found freedom? Great. Discover, that you, discover your purpose. You, you discover your purpose? Great. Then begin to make a difference. But I'll tell you a little secret. You can begin to make a difference the moment you know God. With what you got. Just be genuine. Be passionate. And meet people where they are and be relevant. Any questions on any of this? See, all this, God is tight. He, he, he knows what He's doing. It's all about making disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. Yes, sir. Start with one. Yeah. 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 It, you know, I was driven when I was first saved. I still am. I have to calm down sometimes. And, and I, I take on too much. But I would do better to calm down and pray more and listen to what God says because where, where He leads the breadcrumbs is where prosperity is that's where the the results are and so you know he'll, he'll tell you to focus on and he is one at a time minded i mean he'll leave the 99 and go find the one right so that's that's a very good point uh but whether it's large crowds jesus preached to the multitudes but he spent the majority of his time with the twelve, and then he spent the majority of the time with the twelve with three He was really pouring into those three. And, and the other eight, nine, the other nine were getting the bleed off. You know, they were, they were around him, but he was pouring into those three, you know. So even Jesus couldn't win the whole world at once. He was at one place at one time. He was limited to a human body like us. And he was showing us the pattern. Now, I'm... I done spilt the beans before, but I'm telling y'all again, we're about to launch small groups before this year is over. And uh, that is going to be a vital piece 
of what we're doing to create those small groups, to create that accountability so no one falls through the cracks, so that everyone can uh, learn and gr come and learn and come and go and teach, and everybody's de developing uh, godly relationships in the, in the context of real life. You're not going to, hey, pastor, I'm having a problem with pornography. You know, t tell me what I need to do. You're not going to come to me like that, but you may... If you are having an issue with that, you may talk to somebody that you get to be friends with in a small group. And so that's going to take us to a whole different level of, of discipleship. Now, you may want to know what are the details, how is it going to work. I'll reveal all that later. Um, but what I will ask, since you're the big brothers and sisters, please, please keep an open mind about it and be positive if you can because, you know, Big brothers and big sisters set the temperature in the room. You know, if the big brothers is over there, I don't like it. I, don't, I ain't heard about it yet, but it don't sound, you know, it's going to squash for everybody else. So I'm, I'm giving you a, a heads up that it's coming because you're the big brothers and sisters. But I want you to pray and, and uh, see if we can have a good attitude because I really believe it's God. I've been praying for two and a half years about it before I'm making the move, so. Romans 13, verse 11. We're about to close. This is all the more urgent. Say urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up! For your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will be soon here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Revelations twenty two twenty, the second to last verse in all of the Bible says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. How's he coming? Quickly. Well, it didn't seem like the, the rain was ever coming. It was a hundred years before it got here. But in the scope of eternity, it's quickly. And it could qu come before I finish this sentence. Jesus could come back. He's coming back in the twinkle of an eye. So, you know, he's coming back for the church. Now, <laughs> if you happen to be one of those virgins without the oil in your lamp when he comes back, maybe you'll have to be here through the Great Tribulation. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That's what we should be able to say. He said, I'm coming quickly. We say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I am ready. I ain't holding nothing back. I'm packed and ready to go. I ain't holding on to the things of this world. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.